Welcome to the Air Medical Today podcast. My name is Edward Ero, and I am your host for episode 19 on May 21st, 2010. This podcast is part of the Ero Podcast Network, podcasts that inform by focusing on both the news and the people behind the news. Air Medical Today is published throughout the year, and with each episode, we explore news and information, government and policy decisions, historical events, and a specific area of the air medical industry and community through the use of interviews. You can find Air Medical Today on the web at airmedtoday.com and on Facebook and Twitter. The podcast is also indexed on iTunes. For additional information about the guests on the podcast, I also provide background data on my blog at blog.ero.com. Remember, if you would like to become a sponsor and or leave feedback, please write to webmaster at airmedtoday.com or call 206 3500278 Today's guest is Mike Biasati, the founder and webmaster of EMS Flight Crew, a new web portal serving the air medical community. Before I introduce my guest, I want to go over some feedback from episode 18 and cover some recent air medical transport news. I have not received any feedback specific to episode 18 this week, but did have two very nice in-person comments on how much they appreciated the Air Medical Today podcast and how they have learned a lot about the air medical community. Thank you. Remember, I do want to hear from you, so call the Air Medical Today phone line or send an audio file or note to the email address to provide feedback, ask questions, or if you have any suggestions for future guests. As I have done in the past, I will be putting selected voice messages on the podcast. Also remember that if your program or service has a Facebook fan page, be sure that it is linked at the Air Medical Today Facebook page. Please just email or call me if it is not. I am always on the lookout for all the Air Medical and Critical Care Transport fan pages on Facebook, so it is easier for others to find you. And remember, I cannot link Facebook group pages, and therefore, if you are thinking of putting your program on Facebook, do use a fan page rather than a group. One of the most important reasons is that you can obtain a unique URL or website address once you have 25 fans. This makes it much easier to provide someone your Facebook page and for them to find you. Contact me if you have any questions. Well, it looks like Facebook is going to simplify their security settings, but I have not seen anything definitive as yet. There is still quite a movement to drop accounts, but those of us with company or program pages will probably not drop. While I am critical of the actions Facebook has taken recently, I still very much like the platform in reaching and interacting with individuals for personal, professional, and business purposes. As I said last week, through the Eero Podcast Network page on Facebook, which is at facebook.com slash EPN Network, and the Twitter account at twitter.com slash EPN Network, I post up news and information regarding social networking and general technology. There have been several good posts on how to navigate the now and hopefully to be simplified security menus on Facebook. As I said last week, the sponsorship page is up. And you can get to it by going to the 
airmedtoday.com website and following the link at the homepage. I will be looking for both corporate and individual sponsors and will be sending out information to companies and individuals in our community to solicit support. To continue all the work I am doing in bringing news and information and the podcast, I will need financial support. So if you can become a sponsor, your company or name will be listed according to the level of support. I will also be featuring corporate sponsors in future podcasts. Let's talk about some recent news affecting the air medical world. First off, happy EMS week. Emergency Medical Services Week launched on Sunday, May 16th, with the nationwide theme of Anytime, Anywhere, We'll Be There. There was a nice article published in the Pocono Record in Pennsylvania about the history of EMS, which I thought I would read some highlights. The history of emergency medical services dates back to when civilian ambulance services in the United States began in Cincinnati and New York City in 1865 and 1869, respectively. The first volunteer rescue squads organized around 1920 in Roanoke, Virginia, and Palmyra, New Jersey, and along the New Jersey coast. Gradually, especially during and after World War II, hospitals and physicians faded from pre-hospital practice, yielding in urban areas to centrally coordinated programs often controlled by the municipal hospital or fire department. Sporadically, funeral home hearses, which had been the common mode of transport, were being replaced by fire department, rescue squad, and private ambulances. Prior to the 1970s, ambulance services were largely unregulated. While some ambulances were staffed by advanced first-aid-level responders, in other areas it was common for the local undertaker, having the only transport in town in which a person could lie down, to operate the local ambulance service. In the late 1960s, Dr. R. Adams Cowley was instrumental in the creation of the country's first statewide EMS program in Maryland called the Division of Emergency Medical Services, now known as the Maryland Institute for Emergency Medical Services and Systems. Also in 1969, Cowley obtained a military helicopter to assist in rapidly transporting patients to the Center for the Study of Trauma, now known as the R. Adams Cowley Shock Trauma Center, a specialized hospital he had started to treat shock. This service was not only the first statewide EMS program, but also the beginning of modern emergency medical helicopter transport in the United States. National EMS standards are determined by the U.S. Department of Transportation and modified by each state's Department of EMS, usually under its Department of Health and further altered by regional medical advisory committees, usually in rural areas, or by other committees, or even individual EMS providers. In addition, the National Registry of Emergency Medical Technicians, an independent body, was created in 1970 by recommendation of President Richard Nixon to provide a nationally accepted certification for providers and a consensus on protocols. National Registry certification is accepted in some parts of the United States, while other areas maintain separate protocols and training curricula. In particular, in the state of California, in Seattle, Washington, and in Miami, Florida, projects began to include paramedics in the EMS responses in the early 1970s. 
Groups in Pennsylvania, Virginia, and Oregon were also early pioneers in pre-hospital emergency medical training. Despite opposition from firefighters and doctors, the program eventually gained acceptance as its effectiveness became obvious. Furthermore, such programs became widely popular around North America in the 1970s with the television series Emergency, which in part followed the adventures of two Los Angeles County Fire Department paramedics as they responded to various types of medical emergencies. James O. Page served as the series' technical advisor and went on to become integral in the development of EMS in the United States. The popularity of the series encouraged other communities to establish their own EMS services. Today, EMS services reflect significant advances in technology. The training far exceeds that of early pioneers in the field, and the results are incredible. So, a big happy EMS week. Also, the best of luck as cyclists finish their rides to Washington, D.C. as part of the week's activities. There was criticism of emergency medical service providers in the southwestern Pennsylvania area on a photo shoot of EMS vehicles at the Pittsburgh International Airport today in regards to the cost of producing the picture. Organizers said the photo taken last week was intended to showcase the region's variety of emergency services and equipment for National EMS Week. 66 EMS vehicles, including ambulances, special operations vehicles, two fire trucks, two helicopters, and a motorcycle, assembled for the photo. The vehicles, valued at more than $15 million, based on conservative estimates from organizers and participants, came to Pittsburgh International from bases across the 10-county area. Officials said the pictured vehicles weren't scheduled to be used for emergency purposes, and workers who took them to and from the photo shoot weren't on the clock. The article said that the fuel was the biggest expense, adding up to more than $2,000. The ground vehicles traveled nearly 3,500 miles, and a life flight helicopter flew from Allegheny General Hospital and a stat medevac helicopter from the Allegheny County Airport. Operational costs for medical helicopters are $500 an hour and up, according to the article. While I know there are costs to producing this picture, it is sad that some had to criticize this effort to showcase what was available and the advancements. In healthcare reform news, small businesses are eligible for more than they think under the tax credit provisions of the new healthcare reform law. New guidance issued by the Treasury Department makes it clear that small businesses may receive state and federal tax credits, or in other words, a business's credit will not be reduced if it also receives a healthcare tax credit or subsidy from the state. The guidance also clarifies that small businesses can receive the credit not only for traditional health insurance, but also for add-on, dental, vision, and other limited-scope health insurance coverage. Officials estimated that up to 4 million small businesses may qualify for this tax credit, which would be available starting this year, although businesses would not receive the credit until they filed their taxes in 2011. The guidance was released several days after the National Federation of Independent Businesses, which represents small business owners, decided to join a lawsuit with 20 states to overturn the health care law. In other news, 
The National Transportation Safety Board began a three-day forum this Tuesday on getting more pilots and controllers to strive for professionalism under pressure by learning from the success stories of their peers. Pilot and air traffic controller unions say there is no professionalism problem and say instances of rule-breaking and misconduct are rare. Small and medium-sized airports may benefit more from the next-generation air traffic control system over large hubs like Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, according to Randy Babbitt, the head of the Federal Aviation Administration. Speaking to airport executives this past Tuesday at their annual conference in Dallas, he said the new system will help airports that can't justify installing expensive navigation equipment. The next-gen equipment is cheaper, yet more precise. Babbitt added that the FAA forecasts that air traffic will increase 20% by 2020, and the new technology is crucial to managing that increase. And while the new system will reduce flight delays, Babbitt said airlines need to stop scheduling 20 flights to take off in a five-minute window and then blame the FAA for delays. NextGen aims to replace radar as the FAA's primary way to see aircraft in the air and on the ground, helping to avoid collisions and to manage traffic more efficiently than the current system, which uses decades-old technology. The problem for the FAA is that each airline has taken a different approach to equipping its planes with the expensive boxes that talk with the FAA's gear on the ground. Only about 30% of the aircraft have the latest gear. Getting all the gear on planes would cost $7 billion, and the FAA is weighing possible loan plans or incentives to get airlines on board. Airports themselves won't need much in the way of equipment other than receivers, as the FAA budget takes care of all the ground infrastructure. House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee Chairman Representative James Obistar, Democrat from Minnesota, predicted Wednesday that a multi-year FAA authorization bill will be signed into law by July 4th. House and Senate aides are informally meeting, but discussions have not yet started on the contentious items. This includes House language making it easier for FedEx workers to unionize. FedEx President Fred Smith recently said this dispute was holding up the conference talks. A New York Mercy Flight helicopter was forced to land in North Tonawanda, New York, last Friday afternoon, citing low visibility en route to Erie County Medical Center. The pilot of the aircraft touched down in Veterans Park just before noon, and an ambulance was called to transport the patient on board the rest of the way to the hospital. Mercy Flight was transporting the patient from Youngstown, Ohio, and encountered foggy conditions. Mercy Flight's vice president, Margie Ferrantino said an isolated remnant of earlier haze wasn't picked up on radar, but moved quickly east and was to blame for the pilot's sudden difficulty regarding visibility. Mercy Flight Procedures dictates pilots will not fly unless there are clear conditions upward to 800 feet in at least two miles visibility. PennStar from the University of Pennsylvania Health System in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, also had to make a precautionary landing around 10.30 a.m. yesterday morning. They were flying over the Lawncrest area of Philadelphia when a caution light illuminated. The pilot elected to land in a park and didn't cause any damage to the aircraft, and there were no injuries. There were two people on board at the time of the incident, neither of which was a patient. It isn't clear from the article 
where the helicopter was coming from or the nature of the mission. Ground was broken last Friday on a $550,000 Gray County heliport facility to be built near the Pampa Regional Medical Center in Pampa, Texas. The facility will house a LifeStar helicopter. Two LifeStar helicopters serve the 26 counties of the Texas Panhandle, the Oklahoma Panhandle, eastern New Mexico, and southeastern Colorado. The majority of the heliport project, or $500,000, will be funded by the Texas Department of Transportation's Aviation Division, thanks to a measure added to the state's general appropriation bill by State Representative Warren Chisholm. It gave Gray County the money to build the 8,000-square-foot facility at the hospital. Roughly $56,000 will have to be funded locally as part of the grant stipulations. Local officials have collected about $30,000 in private donations so far. The land where the heliport is being constructed is owned by Gray County. Once built, the facility also will be owned by the county, and the helipad will be open to any helicopter that wants to land there. American Eurocopter announced this week that the University of Michigan Survival Flight Program had ordered three EC-155s to upgrade and replace its current fleet. Denise Landis, Survival Flight Critical Care Manager, explained that the search for their new helicopters involved input and direction from all the major stakeholders in their program, including the clinical, aviation, and administrative teams. She said they were looking for a helicopter that would provide the power, performance, and adaptability to take survival flight into the future. Landis added that the selection process was a very demanding two-year effort that examined aircraft from all of the major manufacturers before the EC-155 was selected. The combination of cabin space and performance was really a strong point for the EC-155, and the helicopter will provide the cabin space needed for specialty care patients and for extra equipment and medical personnel. Survival Flight will be the first HEMS operator in the United States to fly the EC-155. The multi-purpose helicopter features the latest technological and safety innovations, including a four-axis autopilot glass cockpit with integrated flight and display system and the five-blade Spiriflex main rotor. It is the first aircraft in the world certified with a rotor design in accordance with the new FAR-JAR-29 regulations. The EC-155 is powered by two Ariel 2C2 engines with dual-channel FADEC, vehicle and engine management display with first limit indicator, and the integrated flight and display system that help to decrease pilot workload and increase safety. The aircraft also delivers decreased vibration levels at very high cruise speeds, which provides a very smooth flight for patients and crew. Picos, Texas might get a new fixed-wing air ambulance service. At a city council meeting this week, the EMS chief, Joseph Tollett, proposed teaming up with the O'Hara Flying Service for a small airplane to help airlift patients to bigger hospitals in neighboring cities like Odessa. Times Square wasn't the first choice as a terror target for suspected bomber Basel Shazad. It wasn't even his second. In fact, three other New York locations and one in Connecticut were all considered as possible targets. People who live and work in the area were not surprised to learn that Sikorsky Aircraft was on an alleged terrorist shortlist. 
The Stratford-based helicopter maker, the home to the military's Blackhawk helicopter, is a bona fide terrorist target. A subsidiary of United Technologies Corporation, the plant manufactures advanced helicopters for commercial, industrial, and military use. The Eastern Cape South Africa Health Department canceled its multi-million rand air ambulance contract following a series of irregularities on Thursday. The department was expecting a refund of 11 million rand from the contractor National Airways Corporation. The cancellation followed an investigation by the department and forensic accountants Price Waterhouse Coopers. The probe found that the department had been grossly overcharged for services rendered by the company. About 300 people showed up for a rally in St. Barbie, about 120 kilometers south of St. Anthony, Newfoundland, this past Sunday. As Air Ambulance Today has been following the story, the provincial government announced it is moving one of its two air ambulances from St. Anthony to Happy Valley Goose Bay. The government made its decision after reviewing a consultant's report that found most residents of Labrador would have shorter waits for service if the air ambulance team were based in Happy Valley Goose Bay. Health Minister Jerome Kennedy has said protest won't change a thing. The board of directors of Labrador Grenfell Health responded this week to criticisms that it has been inactive on the issue. The air ambulance service is important to our region and has been discussed by the board on many occasions over the past few months, a statement reads. Several months ago, the board became aware that the provincial government was engaging an independent consultant to review the air ambulance service in northern Newfoundland and Labrador. The board agreed to support such a review as a basis for improving air ambulance services in the northern region and throughout the province. On Tuesday, the town of St. Anthony and the Great Northern Peninsula Joint Council called for the resignations of Labrador Grenfell Health Board Chairman Ray Norman and Board CEO Boyd Rowe, claiming these individuals have been totally ineffective in serving the people of this region and, in fact, have built walls by refusing to address the issue of the relocation. The health board statement said board members and staff are committed to assisting employees in the air ambulance program through the transition process. Our priority remains the safety and health of residents throughout the entire region. and We are committed to quality and an improved air ambulance service, the statement read. The Labrador Grenfell Health Board is a regional health board comprised of members from communities throughout Labrador and northern Newfoundland and considers issues and makes decisions from a regional perspective. A former St. Anthony physician has joined the debate over the pending move. Dr. Vera Mahadevan, who worked in St. Anthony until last year, said the weather there often allows flights to take off but not land. Mahadevan who now works in Ontario, said if the air ambulance moves, patients in the area who need urgent care will be stranded, and that the government-commissioned report by Wes Drudge, who recommended the move, is flawed. Mahadevan has written to Premier Danny Williams, asking him to reconsider moving this service out of St. Anthony. Meanwhile, an editorial in the Northern Penn newspaper on Monday called for a truce, and that it was time to take a breather. A timeout, they said, during which the issue of an air ambulance service in the province is properly studied and a conclusion is reached based upon thorough research. 
Lana Remick passed away last Friday, May 14th, of cancer. For 25 years, Lana enjoyed a rewarding career in the profession of nursing. After graduation from nursing school at St. Agnes in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, she began her career at Theta Clark in Nina, Wisconsin, as a registered nurse in the intensive care unit. She moved to New Orleans and in 1978 became the chief flight nurse for the Air Care Flight Program. Lana was recruited in 1986 to return home to develop the first air ambulance program based in central Wisconsin, and through her vision and hard work, the Theta Star helicopter is still impacting countless lives. Services were held yesterday. John McGregor, who served at the East Texas Medical Center in Tyler, Texas for 12 years as a flight nurse, was killed in a fatal accident involving an 18-wheeler this week. His co-workers described him as being passionate and dedicated to his career, and he is survived by his wife and three children. Remember, this and other news and information can be located by following Air Medical Today on Twitter and becoming a fan on Facebook. The Twitter feed is incorporated into the Facebook page. Today I am interviewing Mike Biasati, the founder and webmaster of EMS Flight Crew, a new web portal serving the air medical community. Mike is from Hayward, California. He has a degree in professional aeronautics from the Emory-Riddle Aeronautical University. He started flight training at Helicopters Unlimited in 1989 and completed work at the Sierra University in 1994. Mike has over 4,000 flight hours in a helicopter, which include the Bell 412, Bell 212, MD 900, BO 105, Bell 206, Hughes 500, Robinson 22, and the Enstron F28A. Since 2003, Mike has been an IFR captain with Air Methods Corporation, flying for San Antonio Air Life, where he pilots their Bell 430. He had previously flown for PHI, Economy Rotor Aid, and Keystone, and then was hired by Air Methods on the contract with Miami Children's Hospital in 2002. Mike has been a board member of the National EMS Pilots Association since 2009 and has been the author of several articles published in the Rotocraft Professional and HeliOps magazines. He started EMS Flight Crew in May 2009. This interview, which was originally released on May 21, 2010, was modified due to Mike's request that we re-record the second half of the interview due to the possibility of there being a misunderstanding of some of the things that he said. I agreed to this because the interview was not substantially changed, and I did not want Mike's overall work to be compromised in any way since he has invested so much in improving safety and communication in our air medical community. Welcome to the podcast, Mike. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Thanks, Ed. I appreciate you having me on the show. I'm a big fan. Thank you. My first reaction, and those of others I have talked to, thought for sure that the person behind EMS Flight Crew had to have a clinical background. Do you hear that from others? or? No, actually, you're the first of uh, okay. <laughs> I always feel like I'm a little bit deficient in my uh, medical side because I bring the aviation background. So yes. I'm always... Yeah. Seeking out, you know, I, I work with flight nurses and flight paramedics, and I'm always seeking their input on questions or things that they're curious about, uh, balloon pumps or, you know, rapid sequence intubations, things that I absolutely know nothing about. So 
I always feel like I'm doing those people a disservice because I don't want it to be a, a helicopter website. You know, I want it to be a, a crew website. Right. So, uh, so that's interesting. But no, I had not heard that. Before. Okay. Well, that's I, that's good news for you, I guess. Um, um, yeah. No, encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing is that uh, have you purposely tried to stay in the background with EMS flight crew? Because I know both on the website and on the Facebook page, unless I've missed it, you don't really reveal who you are. Well, I'm not intentionally not revealing it. I, my intent was when I when this whole thing was created, was it, it wasn't going to be my opinion. I've seen too many forum-type sites that deal with helicopters and mm-hmm. air medical, and they, they, they just, you know, they always turn into these pissing contests, for lack of a better term. You know, people are trying to have constructive conversations and learn from each other, and then someone would misspell a word, and the other person would jump on that person, and then it was seven or eight, you know, exchanges of up yours and this and that. So but while every now and then there, there are areas that require moderation, and, and I'm pleased to say that there have only been a few where there were derogatory comments made regarding other comments or articles that were posted. It's turned out to kind of meet my expectations in that it was, you know, kind of a supportive, productive environment for people in this industry to share with one another or exchange information or learn from each other. That was kind of the goal in the beginning. So so I try to keep my opinions out of it, my personal opinions, and sometimes it's harder than and, and others, but uh, I'm not hiding per se, but I'm not trying to make this about what Mike thinks about whatever subject happens to be on the table for that moment. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. Um, are there others that you work with on EMS Flight Crew, or is this pretty much a solo effort on your part? Well, I lack the technical skills for the back end of the website. It's something that I have a passion for and that I'm learning, but not quickly enough that this would have been possible without the help of uh, it, Jethro was the company that I actually selected to help with it, build the, the framework of the website itself. And then I'm very lucky because one of our flight nurses has his own website, uh, Lone Star Woodcraft, where he sells, of all things, bat houses. And he, he does wonderfully with them. But his preacher is actually a, a programmer, and his preacher actually has built websites all over the world. And uh, he happens to be an expert in Drupal, which is the format that we use for EMS flight crew. Let's see. And uh, he's local here in San Antonio, so and he's an awesome guy. His name is Gordon Atkinson. So I use Gordon much less now than I did in the early stages because I'm kind of learning as I go. But uh, other than that and other than just seeking the opinions of people that I work with about subjects and uh, areas of discussion, uh, it's pretty much just me. Yeah, okay. Well, you um, you have a huge number of fans on the your Facebook page, which I think at last count, uh, I believe I was looking this morning, was 7,613, and I'm sure once people hear the podcast, that'll even go up higher. What oh, do you wow. attribute this growth to? Well, you know, uh, it was, uh, one, I think it's probably one of the coolest jobs in the world, flying helicopters. I've always thought it was yeah. you know, kind of like being on a magic carpet, and that's fun. And then, of course, um, coupling that with helping people who are in need, you know, sick and injured or trauma patients and things like that, it's a... Uh, I think it's something that uh, people see on TV, you know, the recent, I uh, can't say that I'm disappointed that they canceled trauma, but uh, <laughs> shows like that draw attention to the industry where people generally don't think about us too much unless they just happen to have their commute blocked by us landing on the freeway or, uh, you know, had a family member or a loved one who's been flown. Um, but I think, you know, it's 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 a microcosm industry in terms of that it's very finite, the number of people that are in it. But I think there are a lot of people that... It, you know, with people on the back end that we work with, ground units, uh, EMS, I think they've become fans, people right. who are in the industry. Um, 
And, you know, I didn't know really know what to expect when we started. I thought a 1,000 fans was an optimistic goal, and it kind of grew a little bit from there. And, you know, it seemed like it kind of took off, and we kind of just tried to provide people with, it. kind of like I said there, you know, productive dialogue, an opportunity to exchange, and, you know, to promote programs that have reached certain milestones and, you know, kind of uh, be each other's fans in terms of that. And then the support networks when things, you know, we won't get bad news like we have had recently out at, say, Tennessee, for instance. Or, right. And it's all kind of stemmed out of 2008, you know, which was just a horrific year in the air medical industry. And that's kind of what's planted the seed, at least for me, in, in trying to do something uh, to bring people together and maybe help learn from each other and support one another. Yeah, well, that's great. I've, I've helped some organizations, and then with Air Medical Today, I, I try to catalog, um, you know, with the, the little link uh, to all the Air Medical uh, or Critical Care Transport or related pages. I know yours is uh, on there. Um, and it's interesting, even some of the, you know, programs themselves, how much, how many fans that they have, because you're, you're absolutely right. You've got, um, you know, so many people that love this industry and community, whether it's the people in it themselves or uh, the people that use it or just think it's a cool thing. So do, do you know what the percentage, I know, I know it's hard sometimes to get Facebook stats of, of that 7,613 that how many are maybe in the industry versus those that are maybe uh, just fans? No, that's, that's something that I don't see. Yeah. Uh, I was curious that it was almost a, Perfect split, forty-nine to fifty-one percent, fifty-one percent female. I was, I was. Yes, kind of yeah, that's right. You can get those stats, a, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was interesting to me. That I thought it would be more male, you know, kind of uh, dominated. But uh, I'm, I'm pleased that it's kind of an even demographic. You know, I hope that means that we're not uh, offending anybody, or we're not uh, deliberately one-sided, or you know, we're not not addressing, I guess, the interests and, and concerns of uh, both sides of the uh, gender scale right. in the industry. How many unique visits do you get to the website, let's say, in a day, week, or month, and how much has that grown? Uh, let's see. I'm actually looking at the page now. In the last 30 days, uh, unique visits, 5,671 about 20,000-plus page views, and uh, still, which is pleasing to me, uh, still showing a, a new or a uh, unique visitor rate of 50%, which mm. has been pretty consistent for the last couple of months. So, uh, you know, average time on site is a little under three minutes. So, uh, And that, these numbers meant nothing to me until I actually checked them with Gordon, my yes. web guru, yeah. and he was telling me that those were actually pretty good numbers. Yes, those are. Actually, yeah. I shut itself down twice because our bandwidth limit had been exceeded. So... That was uh, that was encouraging. Tim, who uh, owns the company that hosts the site, which is down in Australia, he uh, he said that actually never happened to any of their sites before. So, yeah, that, that was encouraging. That's that's very good news. Now, why Australia to have it hosted? You know, it just uh, that just happened to be the company that uh, Gordon works through. He contracts oh. out uh, and uh, Jethro, which is now IT Integrity. They've actually been bought uh, just recently. It hasn't changed anything on our end, but. They just happened to be in Australia. Uh, I actually spent the first three years of my life living in Australia after being born in California when my uh, dad got transferred down there for a project. They were building a smelting plant uh, for the government, I believe, a silver smelting plant, as I mm -hmm. recall. But, um, so, and I actually have a cousin that lives down there, oddly enough, which had nothing to do with the decision. But uh, it, it kind of made, made it feel a little bit more global in my mind, too, which was kind of neat because that was... Part of the goal, you know, and, and we have certainly an infinite number of these types of programs, air medical in this country, and things are much different in other countries. But, of course, 
other countries don't generally have the accident rates that we've been having. So yes, yes. I thought that if we could draw opinions and information from different parts of the world, you know, maybe we could all learn something, you know, how they're doing things, how we're doing things and, and kind of modify things so that, you know, safety is always the driving goal. Yeah, that's a, that's a great goal. I mean, I've strived to do that with Air Medical today and, you know, interview with the, the uh, UK system. Um, oh, great. Yeah, and then through Ames, you know, no number of people from, Europe and Australia and actually had the opportunity to go over to Australia myself. Um, and this was several years ago now, but, you know, visited the programs and it is interesting how, you know, their, their contracts, the funding and even the Canadian systems. And I, I really do. I think we have a lot to learn from each other, um, uh, about programs and especially safety. So you have a tagline, um, on, uh, both sites it says saving lives at Mach 0.193 explain that <laughs> well you know when we came up with the when we initially looked for the web address to see what was available and, and this one came up with I tried to and, and a buddy of mine who's a flight nurse Reggie Reagan who who I, who I was telling you has had his own little web business making bat houses for for the last several years uh, we, we came up with pages and pages of things you know all of our seats are first class or you know yes I always like CalStars. You got to be sick to fly with us. So it's something like that that's stuck in people's minds that maybe would make them remember the site, you know, and then of course hopefully come back to it, and you know, and if they found value in it, then maybe tell their friends in the industry or fans, you know, or friends who you know maybe didn't work in the industry but were fans of the uh, the work that we do. So we we plotted around with it, and I had remember seeing something a long time ago about uh, Mach Zero, you know, and. Generally, in aviation, Mach is always meant to mean some supersonic speed, you know, and it talks about how fast you go. And, of course, in helicopters, one of the advantages is that we can go slow. So we figured, you know, we cruise at 130 in the 430. Um, we had cruise at 120 in the 412. I think we split the difference, and then we divided it out to figure out what the Mach speed was that we were at. There okay. Transporting. And I think it worked out to 0.193 Mach itself. Okay. Well, we good. thought it was clever, and... Some people really like it. We've gotten, you know, I've gotten emails. Hey, that's great. I've had other people tell me that I refuse to buy your T-shirts because I think that's stupid. So uh-huh. <laughs> you, get, you get both sides of it. But yeah. We kind of like it. It's yeah, quirky well, and clever, it's, and we like it. Yeah, it's good to explain explain it. So, um, I also love your logo. Uh, did you design it yourself, or was that professionally done? Uh, actually, it's a, a lady here locally that... Um, uh, I submitted tons and tons of pictures to her, and, and we worked through probably... 50 different versions of this. I actually posted a lot of them up on Facebook and kind of took opinions. To yes, see what I the saw that. Mood of the industry was. and um, So it was professionally done. Uh, a lady named Christy Gallagher, who works here in, uh, in New Braunfels, which is just uh, just a stone's throw from San Antonio. And uh, we just did you know version after version after version and color after color after color. Now, I don't know if you've noticed on the website, though, but all three colors rotate in the upper left block on the homepage. So... And I've given the code out so that if people want to post that, uh, post the uh, the logo and then link back to the site. You know, I've right. actually I've been giving away crew window stickers lately for people who will do that, and just to kind of spread the word, you know, and get a little viral action going on, and hopefully building the community to a you know a larger base. But uh, so, yeah, no, that was definitely professionally done. It's far beyond my capability. Yeah, well, it's very very well done. Is so you haven't decided on one color; you have just different colors that you can use. 
Well, I have the, the actually that there are three versions that we came up with, and and I really like the red, white, and blue. You know, it's uh, kind of a patriotic thing, but mm-hmm. uh, the, the popular one, at least for crew shirts and things like that, was the blue and the gold. Yes. Um, so mm-hmm. the logo on the web page just kind of rotates only because I think it's kind of nice the way it it gives the the page a little bit of life. Right. Yeah, I, I think I voted for the gold one. I, I like that one. I'll probably use that in the show notes too, if if that's okay. Oh, okay. yeah, absolutely. That was yeah. the most popular of the ones. Uh, yeah, that's what I, I, I like the red, white, and blue for the web page, but I actually preferred that one too with the uh, with with the printing. And actually, I have shirts that I'll have probably at the end of this week or maybe next week. I've ordered to uh, with those logos with the blue and the gold on there. So hopefully, people like that. Okay, and that'll be in the store on the website then. Well, you know, the store is it, the the store. There's one store which is basically an affiliate relationship with Amazon that has medical supplies and all sorts of different things, mm-hmm. um, which you know Amazon ships, and that is just uh, a remote relationship. And then I've just recently um, uploaded the logos to Cafe Press, which offers an infinite number of different promotional items, um, but they do charge a premium for that because you know they ship and they print one item at a time. Right. Unfortunately. It's but then you, don't, then you don't have to have a lot of inventory, though, too, which is nice. Well, that was, and that was really the hard part, you know, yeah. because I, I love the shirts, but you can't order just ten if you need ten larges and get them for less than twenty dollars a shirt. Yeah. And the goal wasn't to make money so much as it was to just kind of build the brand out and you know build the community. So now, in that, I'm sitting on a handful of the first version of shirts, and. Uh, you know, so they'll probably be giving those away as promotional items or something. But yeah, yeah. So I'm going to carry the actual logo on Navy uh, Hanes BVTs, which was another thing. Cafe Press wouldn't guarantee printing them on the thicker shirts that I like because they last longer. Because they have a number of different warehouses, so they, they do use yeah. those shirts, but they can't guarantee that your shirt would come on that. And, and I've seen some of the shirts they print on really don't last the washing cycle. So I, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and print them on on. I actually have them printed this week and going to offer them, you know, kind of like I did before where I actually stocked them in my house and I shipped them out within 24 hours. And I see. Hopefully people have found that to be, be conducive to, uh, you know, uh, wanting some more. All right. Well, let's let's go back a bit. Um, tell our listeners about the, the mission and vision of EMS Flight Crew. You know, how did you get this idea and then, you know, what exactly is the mission and what do you see for the future? Uh, well, the mission of the website uh, initially was just to foster a uh, positive and productive dialogue between flight crew members. Basically, so flight crew members from this part of the country or that part of the world, uh, as they had experiences which uh, enhanced safety or where safety was maybe uh, degraded, they could share those experiences. And then as uh, those events, you know, started to show their ugly heads later on at a different program, a different base, there'd be a frame of reference for you know, what a, a good way to handle that was it wouldn't be something that caught people totally off guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially just a, a working dialogue, but, but always a positive one, always one with a constructive comment, always one with a supportive uh, reference. Really what I wanted to do, and I think people had a lot of good in them, and they had a lot of things to, you know, people who have been doing this for a lot of years have seen things where, you know, they get back to base and say, hoy, i never do that again, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I learned something from this, and, and those are the experiences that I hope people will send in. And, and some already have, you know, uh, a lot of folks from the CARE Network, uh, the Survivors Network have sent in stories. and uh, Yes, I've things. seen that. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, you know, and, and I've had some of my own instances, you know, regard, just not too long ago regarding communication and a, and a 
an event I had with a student uh, from another country when I was first teaching and how that might be applicable to EMS, you know, especially as you're lifting with patients, there's a lot of things going on, you know, some aviation, some medical, and always standardizing your call-outs and things so there's no miscommunication on what's going on and what's expected from the front seat and the back seats, uh, you know, as a as they're, you know, you're multitasking, essentially. So so the vision moving forward is, is you know, really hopefully that uh, it becomes a community of air medical professionals, um, and as people go to work and, you know, something happens, whether, and I'm sure, as mine does, companies have their own internal reporting, you know, and those things are, are privatized, essentially, or, or not uh, public domain. But, you know, as an experience occurs, whether it be an interpersonal uh, conflict between crew members or whether it be a safety event, a near miss, things like that, people can get on there and they can get on and send me their, their stories anonymously, and I, I guarantee their anonymity. because. Really, what we just want is we want people to read them and, you know, to discuss them if they think they're appropriate during briefings or during downtime at the base and talk about, you know, what would, you, what would we have done differently, you know, if this had occurred or, you know, in 2008 provided just an onslaught of, unfortunately, uh, you know, fatal accidents. And, you know, just go through the NTSB reports and say, okay, well, let's say we were on this aircraft, you know. What do you think we might have seen or done differently or looking back, obviously, you know, we don't want to, we weren't there. We don't know what happened. Um, all we have is what's in front of us. But given that set of circumstances, you know, how could we have handled this differently? You know, what would we have done? What would you say if I said this? You know, I, I started doing that with a lot of our junior guys and just, you know, saying, well, you know, are you comfortable at this altitude? No, yeah, I'm comfortable at this altitude. I said, well, how low could I go before you're uncomfortable and you would say something? Um, 200 feet. Well, would it surprise you to know that we're already at that altitude? Things, you know, we're, we're trying to always in, engage and uh, and get the crews to, to take active roles and, you know, seeing and avoiding, obviously, especially when we have somebody in front. Um, but just being an active crew member, whether, you know, the designation is official or not, you know, looking for things, you know, and not being a passenger on board the aircraft and letting, putting full faith in the pilot, you know, it, obviously we, we take our role seriously. And, uh, you know, our goal is to get everybody back safely as well. But, you know, we can always use a second set of eyes or, in, in many cases, a third set of eyes. And, uh, you know, and then honor that. You know, we we talk about saying I'm uncomfortable. That's just the thing. Instead of there being, you know, some reference to weather or does this look this way, if a medical crew member is, wants to return, they want to abort, I'm uncomfortable. So that way there's no question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's no varied language, you know, and it's tough because where I work, there are four bases and uh, three of the bases rotate medical crew, you know, so you might not see the same paramedic or the same nurse uh, for a month or two or three, depending on days and nights and, you know, you're on hitch, off hitch sort of thing. So to me, it's important to find, you know, standardization in language and uh, expectation and, you know, to brief the crews, uh, you know, and then to ask questions, you know, along the route. Uh, you know, to query them, are you comfortable with this altitude? What do you think about the visibility here? You know, just get everybody engaged in things so that everybody's an active participant. Yeah. Um, you know, and essentially that's it, really. Just just a place for people to communicate and share stories and, uh, and you know, help build sort of a community, I guess, uh, of air medical professionals, like I was saying before. So really the bottom line, Mike, is really to improve safety by creating a forum that people can communicate. Yeah, have- 
Absolutely. Safety mm-hmm. was, you know, like the, the idea for the, the website kind of came out of 2008, uh, you know, in just the horrific. I saw a great graph that Washington Post put out that had all the accidents since the history of the EMS, uh, and then each one linked to the, the NTSB report, you know, and you saw a lot of things that, you know, again, not having been on any of the aircraft, a lot of them looked like they were not mechanical. They were 100% avoidable if, you know, different course of action was taken. You know, the safety chain has multiple links, obviously, and if you break any one of those, a lot of times, you know, an accident or an incident can be avoided. And and it was just, you know, I, I was just trying to think, well, how can we, you know, what can we do here? Here we have a good group of professionals in our program, but, you know, when you work long, the longer you work with the same people, sometimes you become uh, complacent or, you know, you just you, you take things for granted, and, and to to bring in information or stories or experiences from outside of that that bubble, even from outside of, of the country, I thought you know there's there are EMS programs in other parts of the world. I see a lot of guys on from Canada and Europe, and they do things entirely differently in these in these parts of the country. I'm sorry, in parts of the world, mm-hmm. and uh, I would think that they would have information you know regarding you know how they do things and maybe why they have uh, an accident rate that's lower. You know, a lot of them don't fly uh, scene calls at night. Some fly only two pilots. Some will only fly twin-engine aircraft. And, and I'm not here to say that those are the, the salvation answers, you know, for uh, for the accidents that we've been having. But they're discussion points, you know, and they're things to look at. And, and, you know, we have in our program, you know, just about every safety effect that you could have aboard an aircraft and, you know, all that really helps safety programs up and down the, both the company and the program for reporting things, you know, and tracking and uh, and sharing information internally. Um, so this is something outside of that that's just, you know, less official and more uh, kind of, uh, of a uh, kind of a networking thing, but even more so just kind of a dialogue, I guess. And, and you know, younger people or older people who've had the same experiences can chime in and, and make reference. I saw a comment not too long ago, you know, where somebody was very supportive. And, and occasionally I've seen some that are less so. And, you know, occasionally moderation is, is required, but not, not too much, which is encouraging for me because I really, that was my only COVID concern when taking this leap of faith and putting this all together was that, you know, people would go out of their way or, or ugliness would pervade and, Prevail, and you just see sort of some of the stuff that you see other places, unfortunately, and that that's not been the case. So I've been pleased in that respect. Yeah, that's that's nice. I mean, that's one thing I I like about your site. It it's not uh, as you mentioned earlier, the you know place where people just get on and rant about things. I mean, there's some very constructive, uh, positive information. I think that's important. And how do you prevent the 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 ranting though? Have you had to moderate? You said a couple times. You know, there was only uh, early on there were you know people who would make comments and and I would always email them individually before or as I removed the comment, and then sometimes I weigh in and I've got a, a flight nurse buddy of mine. I think I, I may have mentioned him, or, you know, Reggie Reagan, who's uh, I kind of use it as a sounding board sometimes, and I'll read the comment to him and I'll go, Do you mm-hmm. think this is a Got any constructive value, um, you know, and, and kind of you know, seek out other opinions because I don't want to be overly uh, censoring things, you know, if they're not uh, if they if they have some productive value, I guess. But I don't want to, you know, whole start this this whole thing. So only once was there one that was very ugly, and I 
went to email the individual, and it turned out that the email account was no longer valid. So this, this person apparently took the time to create an email account, use that to post the comment, and then close the account. Oh. Uh, that, that was a lot of effort for to say something ugly about another program. And, you know, really we're all crew members, you know, whether we work for company X, Y, or Z, you know, or whatever we think about these other companies. When when we get on board the aircraft, you know, it, the company kind of becomes irrespective of the mission or, you know, the goal, which is to safely operate the aircraft to the location to pick up the patient in, in the safest and most expeditious manner and to return them to wherever it is they're going. And, the, you know, the, the companies, the, whatever company you're flying for and doing that with, you know, or whatever feelings you have towards another company, really go out the door there because, you know, we're all crew, our crew members, and we all want, nobody wants, you know, anybody to not go home at the end of their shift. So with discussion, hopefully, and then, of course, companies that provide, you know, excellent tools and uh, and, and their own reporting systems and things that, that are made available and equipment, you know, night vision goggles are a, a huge, I think, improvement uh, that we're actually getting very shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that most other programs, especially VFR programs, have had. But, uh, you know, these are, these are very expensive safety additions that companies are going out of their way to provide for us, and, and they'll make a huge difference. And uh, and then when we get on board that aircraft, you know, we uh, we need to make sure that we're all 100%, 110% engaged, focused on the mission, not distracted, and discuss the distractions. You know, at the end of the, sh- end of the flight, a lot of times I'll say, okay, you know, I, I turned down to change the transponder quote, and really at that altitude at that phase of flight that wasn't uh, that wasn't the best use of my time i should have had eyes outside so i said you know if you catch me doing that again draw it to my attention you know or if people are down in their lap you know taking further and we're climbing out from a hospital or something like that you know at the end of the end of the flight i'll say you know to me this would have been a better use of your time uh you know you could have got that information a minute later when we're you know 2000 feet agl and and leveled off and in a route versus, you know, climbing out or something like that. So you can't be afraid to have conversations about it. You know, you need to approach them the right way because everybody, you know, some people take offense to, to things like that. But as long as they're constructively worded, I think, and, and people are approached respectfully, they can learn, you know, and I learn. And I've been doing this for, oh, geez, eight, nine years now combined, maybe 10. Um, but, you know, I catch myself. Just like with the transponder code, you know, that's, that's uh, aviate, communicate, I'm sorry, aviate, navigate, communicate, you know, is the old adage, and, and the, it goes a long way if you can ingrain that. But, uh, you know, whether you got eight years or 18 years, you're only as safe as your most recent flight, and you just need to work on constantly improving and, uh, you know, self-evaluating and uh, communicating with each other. Yeah, I've, I've always felt that, too, that communication I think uh, even back several years ago when they were really pushing to have the post-flight debriefing, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I'll just write up something. And I, I think it really is important, uh, if you can, because a lot of times you'll go on to another flight and then you're switching medical crew or whatever. Um, but, you know, to have that in person uh, or at least over the telephone 
uh, with the communications, you know, too, to, to really talk about what happened, you know, what went right, what went wrong, what can we improve? Because you're right. I mean, that's how you improve things. Uh, you know, technology is great, and, we've, uh, and that's, that's helped uh, immensely. Uh, but it still gets down to, you know, the crew communicating uh, with each other and being honest. The other thing that I've always found particularly hard, too, is with new staff uh, members, because they're a lot of times shy about speaking up and, you know, how you get them engaged, uh, especially in the post-flight debriefings or even, you know, within uh, committee meetings or staff meetings to speak up, because a lot of times they'll think, oh, well, you know, I don't want to appear dumb, you know, to ask a question. And we've really got to make an environment where people, you know, there's no dumb question or, or people don't no, react. There are and, no dumb questions. Yeah. Um, or people don't react like, you know, in a negative way, you know, ex- accept that and, you know, be able to, you know, a new person. Okay. They might not know everything exactly. You know, let me explain, explain it to you. You know, this is why we're turning down this flight for weather. And you know, let me show you on the, on the screen here of what I'm looking at, you know, so that they, you can educate people too. Yeah. And it's, and it's gotta be an ongoing thing, you know, cause people will forget. And, and when you're new, there are so many things, especially if you have no previous flight experience, there are so many things going on in that aircraft from an aviation side, right. from a medical side, right. from a meteorological side. Right. You know, you may, you may sit down and spend 25 minutes with them in a briefing, you know, but you need to do that. You know, repetition aids recall was one of the things I remember from my flight instructor training days. You know, you just have to, you just every day is an opportunity to learn something new when it comes to safely operating that aircraft. And I'm sure, you know, they do CEUs for, you know, the medical side and they re- review and refresh things so that they're always at their A game. And, and of course, you know, as pilots, we, we do our check rides and we do semi-annual training or any number of things, you know, where we review on our own or we take computer training courses that are required and things that are related to what we do. So. Really, you just need to always be learning, I guess, you know, and always be seeking out, you know, opportunities to to constructively learn and to, you know, if you see somebody else just because he's senior to you, you know, that made me uncomfortable, you know, whatever it was. People are, you know, if people aren't wearing their seatbelts or, you know, if the patients aren't secure or, uh, you know, any, any number of variables. And it's those kind of examples, you know, that I hope people will take the time to send in. You know, and I, I post a lot of questions on Facebook to kind of see if the discussions will go, you know, recently about, you know, whether they've ever had a combative patient or a patient with a weapon, um, you know, and people might may have never even thought about that. You know, if the, if the guy's in there for a stabbing, maybe he's got a, a weapon on him or, right. yeah. you know, if he was if he was transported for, you know, uh, blowing off his fingers, well, maybe that wasn't the only uh, uh, device that he had that uh, was capable of doing yeah, it could be anything, but I think out there is just a, a wealth of knowledge and, and experiences. And whether you've been doing it for two weeks or two years or 20 years, you know, you, there's always something that you can learn from somebody else. And that's really, I guess, the goal and the mission of the, the website. So it's really about communication. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. I mean, what do you think is the single, single biggest factor for safety in, in air medical or really any aviation service? Uh, I guess yeah, really good decision making, and mm-hmm. and it's hard to judge yourself, you know, because a lot of times, 
you know, no matter how hard you try, you know, you may let your ego get involved in, in the decisions you make, or no matter, you know, you may be further along, or are you more inclined to, is your acceptable risk go up when your patient's on board and when you're 10 minutes from your destination hospital versus you just lifted from the, you know, the sending hospital? You know, how do, how do you evaluate yourself on these flights? Because, you know, once the aircraft is off the ground, you know, the decisions made on whether to continue or not continue inside of the rules are, you know, those that are made by the crew. And good decision-making, I think, is probably something that's hard to teach. Um, you know, and that's why I think constantly reevaluating yourself and the manner in which you do things and not allowing the, the severity or the urgency of the, the flight that you're taking allow to dictate any manner of risk of, that you're willing to, to take on, I guess. So really... I guess in a couple of words, you know, communication, safety, and and, and uh, good judgment are things that we just need to constantly work on and towards, and you know, get involved in safety programs that your program and your and your vendor or your your employer uh, have. You know, uh, often you know it's easy to point out what you think is wrong, and, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody. Easy to point out what's wrong, but without offering, you know, viable solutions or out, without being part of the the group that you know makes the recommendation or suggestion. Uh, there there are an infinite number of opportunities and groups to get involved in, you know, and uh, and to help be part of the solution versus just pointing out what you think the problems are. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, absolutely. and if you have complaints about things, you know, talk uh, talk only to the people who are capable of uh, affecting change. You know, because otherwise, you know, if you're just rambling on about this thing and that thing, you're not you're not working toward the solution. And, and a lot of times people will latch on to what you're saying and, you know, it becomes like a cancer. And that's not that's not productive for anybody. So, you know, uh, commit to, and and dedicate yourself to, you know, helping make following find solutions to problems and, you know, address concerns you have with the people who are in a position to um, make effective change. And. You know, make suggestions, uh, get involved, have discussions, uh, you know, mentor somebody if you've been doing this for a while, you know, and uh, spend time. We, just like the mentor program we've got here on the website, you know, I get a lot of uh, a lot of emails, probably weekly, from somebody. I just got one from a guy who's down in New Zealand, and he's just, you know, he's, his goal is to come to America and be a, an EMS pilot. But, you know, he's got a long road ahead of him, but there's certainly things that he can start to do now to help help position himself so when the time comes, you know, he's in a, in a good, has a good opportunity to find that first job and then, you know, go from there. Right. Well, it, it sounds like, you know, what you've, what your philosophy is on safety and really what you're trying to build with the website is about communication because that really is a big part of safety. If you're not communicating and, you know, before, during, after, and as you said, uh, if you're, you know, wanting change in a program you feel that there's something better rather than just criticize come up with some constructive solutions and and get involved because um, most programs will would welcome people uh, that that want to uh, you know work on committees or especially the safety committee so yeah oh absolutely um you know there's lots of opportunities and and you know, until we experience an absolute zero accident rate in the industry, you know, there's there, and even once we do, you know, to maintain that, uh, there are there are always contributions. There's always somebody who's going to think of a way to do it safer and more efficiently. And uh, you know, whether it's caring for the patient, 
you know, cooling the patient's blood uh, temperature down, I think, was it for a stroke? Uh, I read an article about, you know, that's something that's, I guess, relatively new, or whether it's a, a safer way to, you know, communicate between aircraft, because certainly during the summertime, we have a lot of the aircraft, you know, whether they're news, police, uh, other EMS agencies in the area, and there's always a danger of uh, midair in and around airports and weekend flyers and skydivers and any number of things, so... Uh, just yeah, I guess communication. If it came down to one thing, communication and safety would be the the goal. Yeah. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about the inner workings. What came first with uh, with you? Was it the the web page or the Facebook page? Yeah, the Facebook page I think uh, predated the website by either three or four months. I think it was May thirtieth mm-hmm. that the Facebook page first got launched, and and. About a month prior to that, I had didn't even know what Facebook was, to be honest. So, um, but I had, the idea of the website stemmed from an article that I had written, I don't know, months earlier, just uh, kind of espousing on what I thought were some good points for the uh, air medical industry. And then I thought, well, you know, why don't we create a platform where people can uh, can share, you know, our, whether they're articles or stories or experiences and things like that. Uh, and then I looked at doing the website on my own, and I, I lacked the vast technical expertise, I guess, to, to do something like this the way that I wanted to do it. Uh, and I talked to a friend of mine whom I had actually met in the month that I had just got on Facebook uh, on a you know a personal account, and uh, somebody who I went to high school uh, with, and she said, you know, why don't you instead of spending all this money right off the bat and building this thing out and having it not work, why don't you? create a Facebook page under the same name and, and just see if there's any interest in it, you know, see if it's it's a viable demographic, I guess, you know, because there are other websites that do similar things, you know, have a little bit different look, a little different uh, back-end operation, but, um, you know, maybe there, there wasn't a need for another one. So we started the Facebook page, I think it was May 30th, and it, it you know, just with articles of interest and, you know, questions and pictures and things like that, and it, and it did pretty well for itself. Um, you know, it has a steady growth rate. And so a few months after that, you know, and I met with some people who had the technical expertise to kind of advise me on uh, creating the back end of the website. And then, you know, we worked on the look of it and then learning how to function and operate on it. Uh, and then September, I think it was 13th, actually, we opened it up. Uh, third, September 15th, we went live with it and uh, started to populate it with news articles and things and, and questions and pictures and you know it's been a it's been a labor of love in that you know hopefully from one week to the next or at least a couple of times a month you'll see some changes to the look of it or some of the features of it um, you know uh, the jobs page was added a few months later because it seemed to me like that would be a, a draw for people and to get them to come on board and take a look at some of the things that we're doing and hopefully get involved in the discussions comment on some of the articles uh, you know, the forums page is is up and running, and and there are discussions that take place there. The mentor page is a big thing. Um, you know, there's some promotional gear that if people are interested, uh, we'll link to the memorial page there. Um, and just uh, hopefully, you know, people like it. I get I get a lot of positive feedback from some people, and then other people who uh, who don't particularly care for it. So you know, it's. Uh, it's feast or famine, but uh, but I enjoy it. You know, it, it's it's fun to be involved in something that uh, is industry related. You know, I love the uh, love the job that I get to do. Well, it's a, it's and, a very sophisticated uh, site. Like, I mean, I I think it's uh, very well done. 
Um, and so thanks for explaining, you know, how you put that together. And the other thing that I find amazing is the, um, uh, how many people, I think, uh, the Air Medical Memorial was started that way too, really started more as a Facebook page and sort of oh. same as you, you know, kind of feel the water. They had a lot of people and then that helped them, uh, build the website. And I can even say with Air Medical today, it was really built around, Facebook. Now I added a web page right from the beginning, but it was more just a, you know, placeholder and have a uh, some of the static information. But it is pretty amazing with, you know, social media, new media, uh, how quickly you can get the word out to a lot of people and the, and they can find you. So. Yeah, well, Facebook is uh, you know obviously amazing there. It uh, seems to have really hit a chord with uh, with folks. So. Uh, it's a, it's a great opportunity to to reach people that you might not other reach, you know, that wouldn't happen upon your website, uh, you know, for years if ever. So it it gets a nice opportunity for that, you know. And a lot of the the website, you know, the contributions, whether they're stories or pictures, you know, come from people who are out in the field in various countries, you know, doing the job. People who are you know on duty, right. any number of hours a day, uh, you know, a lot of get a lot of uh, help and. and Pictures from Australia and New Zealand. Uh, recently, Canada has chimed in with uh, a lot of good content. Uh, Europe, in some cases, so it's uh, you know, and, and uh, hopefully it's growing. Hopefully, we'll start to. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the base map, which is just a United States map at this point, but uh, um, I'm hoping to expand that to an international map there, and we can start to populate with you know bases from around the world. There, I actually just started uh, asking people to send those in. Uh, once before, and then uh, I think I'm going to do that again. But I've got, you know, I've got uh, several from different parts of the world with base information, you know, pictures from the base, uh, base websites, and things like that. So, uh, you know, it's something that I'll end up doing down the road, but uh, something that's in the works at least as part of the whole overall growth, I guess, of the site. Well, where are you getting all the data for the base maps, Mike? Is that uh... Users sending information are using the Atoms database as a starting point. Yeah, the Atoms database certainly. Um, that will, sometimes that information is a little bit dated, uh, and then I do get information from users. You know, hey, you missed our base, or this base is closed down, or you forgot us, uh, and that kind of thing. The the maps actually, which is purchased outside of the website, it's actually a company in I believe Florida that that builds these, and they have any number of varying. Uh, levels of maps with any number of varying functionality. But I first saw it uh, when I looked at a website, uh, flightsafetynet.com, which uh, is run by a, another EMS pilot out in uh, Pennsylvania. And he had it on his homepage, and I, and I played with it for a little bit and emailed him back and forth a few times. And I said, wow, this is really cool. You know, this is like provides a lot of good information for people who might be looking for a job or just curious, you know, how many air medical bases are out there. And I don't, by any means, stretch of the imagination, uh, purport to have all of them listed. But you know, it, probably each week I add one or a couple, and maybe have to delete one, close down. Uh, so I got a lot of the information from from there, and then of course, you know, different databases, uh, Ames, Adams, and then users really have uh, been a great help in, in sending the information in you know, for programs that they work for or work next to. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some of the other features. You uh, mentioned the mentor program. Now, the one thing I didn't see um, being more on the administrative side that you had anything for, you know, administrative or management mentoring. Was that by design or are you looking to add that? No, actually, that's uh, 
I guess a, a total oversight on my part. Uh, initially, you know, this was a I, my thought was that this was for the kind of like the line staff sort of level, you know, the flight nurse, flight medic. Uh, I do have another column in there that uh, if somebody were interested in, certainly uh, they could submit that. And uh, no, I'll, I'll certainly go ahead and remedy that here today. I'll go ahead and uh, create that column. Because it, it just, just kind of, you know, in putting everything together, I'm sure details were going to be missed on various things. And I go back and look at pages and I'm going, oh my God, what was I thinking with this page? Or, you know, I click on this button and it doesn't take me anywhere. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> go back and try right. to figure it out. Because I'm still learning. Uh, you know, I, I think 80% of the, the technical stuff I've got a grasp of now, but there are varying things that come up and I have to reach back to the the host company and then they've got a guy who's local here that uh, I call up or email and I'll ask a question. I was like, oh, I, can't, I can't figure out how to format this page to save my life. I've spent four hours on it. In seven minutes, you'll have it done, you know. So, yeah, well, you you need to have, yeah, you're right. You need to have a, some real technical knowledge, especially when you get down to the, the root programming. And I can do some of that, but it, a lot of it gets over my head too. And I, I, I've got some uh, friends that I, call to and say can you take a look at the coding of this you know what why is this doing this um but uh it is fun too you you learn some new things but i wanted to say on the mentor side i mean i agree with you completely that's a and why i ask about the administrative one and i'll add my name is that i i feel that's very important uh for people i've been fortunate in my career to have uh mentors that i've been able to go to even today and i've done the same uh, for others uh, that have, uh, it's been usually, oh, flight nurses or paramedics that, you know, want to go into administration, but they don't know which way to go and sort of, you know, help them go through what you need to do as far as, you know, your educational background and uh, helping choose that, maybe getting involved in some committees. One person um, that's done real well, he, I put him in charge of the uh, CAMES effort. I said, that's the, one of the best ways uh, to learn about oh, wow. a program because you learn every single piece of that. And, you know, that was a real helpful. I mean, t- today he's a uh, reviewer for CAMES, um, but has gone on to do administrative work too. So um, I agree, I think, in, in all areas that that mentorship is important. So it's nice that you have that. Yeah, and that was from the day one, you know, that was part of the core, I guess, beginning of the website. You know, many things have been added since then, but that was one of the goals, you know, the communication, obviously, among existing crew. But really, I think you get more excited about what you're doing. You know, if you've got somebody who's who's aspiring to do what you do, it kind of, you know, keeps the enthusiasm going. And it's, you know, there's a, a huge sense of satisfaction in, you know, seeing somebody, you know, work their way up through paramedic school or, you know, uh, an ER nurse or a unit nurse, you know, that wants to fly and comes right. out and rides along with you. And then, you know, you kind of give them advice, you know, mistakes you made, things to avoid, uh, you know, coursework to pursue or, you know, ways to position themselves so that if they do want to end up, you know, in a flight position, that they're, they're in the best possible light uh, when it comes time and openings occur and, and to get go ahead and get on board. You, uh, I wanted to talk about a couple other items. Uh, you use the number 24 as a memorial reminder for those who have lost their lives in the line of duty, uh, but also a safety reminder. Why 24? Where, where does that come from? Uh, you know, in 2008, there were 24 air medical crew members that were killed uh, on board EMS helicopters. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I actually saw a great video once uh, that, that uh, memorial 
memor- kind of memorialized all the crew, showed pictures, uh, their names, the date that they they were lost, and uh, I counted them out there. And it, it, you know, the number was 24. And I thought, well, and of course, the everything began in 2009, so 2008 was fresher in people's minds. But to me, it was kind of like a very symbol, symbolic gesture, I guess, uh, a conversation piece, if, if nothing else. We put them on the first version of the, the T-shirts that we did, put it on the website, you know, so that if people asked, you know, what's the 24 for, you could say, you know, it's to memorialize the 24 medical crew members who were killed while they were out, you know, helping others, and you know, so that we don't ever forget to always put safety above all else. And, uh, and it just seemed it kind of caught, and some people like it, I think. Uh, I've heard from others who, who didn't thought it was a little bit dated or uh, thought that maybe it was a reference to a stock car racer. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm not married to the idea. I guess if something better were to come along as a memorial page identifier or uh, anything like that, then I've certainly opened to changes. And if anybody has any suggestions, you know, about things to add to the website or that they don't particularly care for that are don't serve a purpose, uh, you know, they can certainly always email me. And, uh, you know, I got everything routed through my cell phone. So I, generally get back to people sometimes in minutes, uh, but never, you know, never more than 24 hours before someone will hear back from me regarding whatever it is that they had comment on or suggestion of. Right. Well, I, I thanks for explaining. And I might have missed that explanation on the website, so I apologize if I did. I didn't know if it was like being 24-7 or, you know, what. So it's it's good to, no, good to know good that. You also have a great uh, photo section, um, and I think you're using Flickr, uh, to uh, to have people post up uh, pictures of medical aircraft, um, have those all been submitted by users, or did you start off with a, a a number of them yourself and post up? Yeah, no, um, a lot of them have been sent in by users, and that's why we have a nice international collection. Uh, you know, like I said, New Zealand and Australia, uh, Canada. I've got several from there. A lot of them come from when the, the articles get reposted. You know, they'll have a picture that's included, and if it's a good quality picture, and and I, I think it represents, you know, air medical crews and what they do, I, I add it to the the uh, the role, so to speak. Flickr is just very useful because one, it was initially it was free. You know, the uh, the standard version of it, I upgraded to the professional, but even that was, I think it's $20 a year. It's a great way to kind of categorize the, the pictures, and, and, you know, you can run a feed into the website so people can look at it either there or open it up in, in and of itself. Uh, and, and it was just one of those decisions that was made, because you can add uh, a photo page to the website, and you can categorize things and format things, but everything that I did in the beginning, you know, had a cost to it, and in financing this entirely on my own you had to kind of weigh you know what was i would have liked to have done a bigger memorial page but you know in talking to friends and and other people in the industry you know uh, several of the other uh, websites that are air medical related have that so if you know the the decision was made not to try to duplicate what somebody else was already doing Um, flight web does a thing you know when there's when there's a fatality they black out the page and and I thought about that for a while, and, you know, my friend said, you know, no, fly, that's FlightWeb's thing, you know, let them do their thing, and you come up with your own thing, so. Yeah, Raleigh um, does a great but, job with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, they, that's, you know, they, they've been around, geez, probably since the beginning of the Internet, and, uh, and yeah, they certainly have got a huge following there, and they, they have a, a great site as well, so. Um, so you know, there was just kind of a decision that was made to, that Flickr was a good uh, a good avenue for that, and mm-hmm. they do a nice job. And 
and I said the cost is very low, and, and the feed runs into the website. And if you want to look at the pictures larger, you can go to it uh, outside of the site and get the pictures. But uh, it's worked out well, you know, and it keeps things simple, and uh, it incorporates another sort of social media channel that uh, is very popular. So, you know, people may find us on Flickr first and then find the website or the yeah, Facebook page. Right. Uh, and that's always, you know, nice, too, to see how that works out. So. Yeah. Hey, have you gone back and counted? Do you know what percentage of the aircraft do you think you have cataloged now of all the air medical programs or any idea? Oh, no, I sure, <laughs> sure don't. There are several sites that have. I know Alec Buck has just probably the largest collection yes. of pictures. Yeah. Uh, and they've been around again. They've been around for a long time as well, those guys. Um, and FlightWeb, of course, uh, you know, and then several others. So it's just it's something that at least one day a week or in, like any time I see an article that's got a good picture, I'll, I'll add it. At least one day a week, I go looking for for good pictures, you know, that that represent the crews. Hopefully, not just the aircraft, but that showcase the crews doing what they do. Because, you know, it's arguably one of the coolest jobs I think you can have. And you know, it it people don't think about it, I think, too much unless they've had a loved one who was flown, or you know, their their commute has been blocked by a helicopter landing on the freeway. And, uh, but you know, the, what the nurses and the paramedics. And, and the doctors, the RTs, whoever is on board at the time, do medically on board an aircraft. To me, I just am in awe of the work that they do. You know that that, uh, and then they, they do on board an aircraft, which you know is is a tight fit. Uh, and it just the, the pictures are hopefully in, to kind of honor what they do. You know, and, and to showcase their talents and uh, what they do for the communities they work in. Right. Well, you have a, another area um, called your crew store. Um, you talk about the types of things that you have for sale. I also noticed that you're uh, affiliated with Amazon, and is that through what an affiliation program with them? It, I think you click and it stays on your site, but it brings up an Amazon um, sort of checkout. Thing yeah, or, or actually, different items. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, uh, you know, to build a store out, again, on your own, which would be my first goal if money were no object, you know, was to create your own. But uh, Amazon does a nice thing, and they give you several different options on how you want to display the store, whether you want it in a pop-up window or whether you want it embedded or in line uh, with the site, and you kind of work within that. And, and I was able to go in and hand-select, essentially, things that I thought people who would visit a site like this would be interested in, you know, whether they're stethoscopes or books on trauma or any number of things related to helicopters or, you know, being a paramedic, uh, you know, flight suits, things like that, uh, to hand select those and then put them into that store. And then people, if they go through there and they see something that they like, uh, you know, through the affiliation, Amazon kicks a, a percentage or two down to EMS flight crew to help with our operational cost. And then recently we just added an affiliation with uh, Cafe Press. We uploaded our new, now that we have an actual official logo, uh, uploaded that to a couple of different cafe press stores, and uh, if you go onto the website and you go on the gear page, there's a link to both of those. And they do just an inordinate number of promotional items, whether they're coffee mugs, travel mugs, t-shirts, clocks, uh, magnets, uh, tank tops, you know, half shirts, you name it, jackets, sweatshirts, caps. Just uh, an inordinate number of things that, that I couldn't personally afford to, you know, uh, order and store and then ship uh, on the chance that people would be interested in them. So they can use that those stores there if they see something on there that they like, and then and then our gear page, which is you know the in-house stuff that I do with the the, the logo and the, the t-shirts, just uh, the stickers, and then a, a new lapel pin that I've ordered 
which turned out real nice. I'm glad people can, if they're interested in, in promotional items, they can. Uh, they have, the, I guess, the three options then to take a look at and see if there's something that they're interested in. Yeah, that's great. What um, uh, we we talked about Facebook a little bit. I I know there's, you know, concerns about all the privacy stuff with with Facebook, and I I do hope they address some of those things because there's you know could be you know at least a threat of, of an exodus of of people and i think for those of us including you and i that you know you have your personal page which i i tend to really use facebook more for the business side of things um, which you know i have the air medical site and some others um that if you close down your personal site, then all those go away. And, you know, I, yeah. I don't want to do that. But uh, on the other hand, I, I think they're, you know, I, I have taken the time to go into all their menu structures to see, you know, who sees what. But my gosh, they, they do make it complicated. So I hope they uh, can simplify that. But what I, what I wanted to talk to you about is uh, you have a great uh, Twitter feed, and I know that gets put into your uh, uh uh, website too. Um, what type of information are you posting on that? Um, actually, almost never do I post directly to Twitter. What uh, what happens is I set up a feed from the uh, Facebook to the Twitter. So anything that I okay. post on uh, Facebook automatically reposts there on Twitter. Oh, I see. So you're going the other way around. I yeah. I, go, I go Twitter then to Facebook, but yeah, either way. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah no, I. I even thought about it. Twitter was another one of those things that, you know, <laughs> back in May I, I had heard about and people talked about it on the radio and whatnot, but I honestly didn't, had never used it. Uh, and then, you know, once the site got up and running, of course the goal was to introduce it to as many people as possible. And I started looking at different social media sort of outlets and um, YouTube, obviously. Uh, Facebook was the, the big one that it started with. And then uh, any number of Twitter, any number of other ones that, uh, and Flickr, uh, or, you know, just an RSS feed. Anyway, people could kind of share what they saw, assuming they liked it. And then, uh, you know, other people might take a look at it and hopefully find something they like in it as well. Well, I, I've noticed, you because that's what I do. I guess regardless of how we do it, it, it creates an RSS feed, which for uh, our listeners is uh, really simple syndication. It's just a way to... Um, you know, grab information or or send it out. And I, I've even told people, Mike, that, you know, okay, you're not on Facebook, you're not on Twitter, you don't care about those things. You know, I feed it into the website like you do. But uh, I said, you can also just pick it up through an RSS reader. I mean, a lot of email clients will support an RSS feed. You just go in and add that feed and then you get the posts right in your email client. So there's, there's many ways to do that. Um, but um, I've noticed that you reformat a lot of your stories what i'll do is you know i'm sure you've got the same thing a lot of elaborate searches looking for different information and then i'll um, basically post those over and uh and then it feeds into you know both twitter and and facebook but um you reformat a lot of your stories i mean i like it it makes for some easier reading it's more like almost a blog post um uh is there a reason that you're doing that does that take you a little bit longer to put that together? Uh, not, not too much. I, it, the way that Drupal is set up, uh, it just kind of it lends itself to that. And I, I think it does make it, you know, I can filter out a lot of the ads and things that you yes. get. If you, right. It just had a direct link to the web page that the article was from, and you get all that other stuff. Yeah, it's a, I, um, 
So I, I filter that out. I include the pictures if they look, you know, good and uh, populated in there, and then link back, you know, put a link on the bottom of the article to the original article if somebody yes. wanted to actually go ahead and source it. Um, but otherwise, you know, it, it just it Drupal lends itself to that kind of formatting. It doesn't take but a, a minute or two. You know, basically, it's just a lot of cut and pasting, and, and you know, like I said, screening out a lot of the Google ads that come in or that populate through other articles and things like that. And I get to filter them. There's a there's a news feed on the left side of the, the website homepage that pulls in keywords. You know, and a lot of times, unfortunately. It may pull in life and flight in an article that has nothing to do with air medical, but it populates constantly off of a couple of alert feeds. So usually they flush through pretty quickly, but but it pulls up other articles about, you know, this helicopter was called here, the CMS crew was there, things that I don't put in the middle, which is, or they're all hand selected uh, because they just don't seem kind of as industry specific or appropriate. But they are some, makes her some interesting reading if you uh, you know happen to be from that part of the country or if you happen to have a friend that works for that program or any number of things like that. So there's multiple avenues there for news, uh, but the center I just kind of reserve for things that I think are you know more targeted towards the uh, the audience and the demographic. Yeah, yeah, I, I actually subscribed to your RSS and. I think a lot of times we're probably reviewing stories at at similar times, but uh, it, sure. it's uh, you know it's just and I know others are uh, posting stuff too, but it it is um, I, I try to pick up sort of anything to do with with aeromedical, and some of it gets you know there's things from England, a lot of the stuff out of there is on fundraising, which people here might not be as interested in, but I, I find it quite. Uh, fascinating how they support their programs there you know and they do that through uh that type of fundraising so it's and and i've picked up a lot of um followers from uh the uk because of that so uh, what's of interest as one person might not be to another um i also wanted to know time's getting close to the end here but you're um youtube you have some great videos on there posted at uh Congratulations on compiling all those. I, I especially like the one, and I think this is probably the one you were talking about, called the Compressed Memorial, uh, that had the most views. Um, who who put oh. that together, or did did you do that, or was that a? No, I, no, I, I had nothing to do with that. And mm. like I said, that was kind of where the idea for the twenty four came from, because I, I and I watched that from time to time, and I've republished it on the website uh, from time to time because I just think. It just hits home, you know, so much when you put faces and names and dates to, you know, 12 months that mm-hmm. uh, all these tragedies occurred. But no, Clinical Analysis Management was the uh, a website that I just came across, and I, and I don't remember how I happened to do it, but on their homepage they had this uh, link to this uh, video that they put together, and and I just played it, you know, and it's got a soundtrack to it, and it's got yes. the faces, and it's it's just probably the best compilation uh, that you could ever have for, for something like that. And, uh, yeah, no, that didn't have anything to do with it, uh, putting that together at all, but no, I'm a big fan of, uh, the time obviously that it took to put that together. Yeah. It's and, a very, edit it. Yeah, very well done. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they do offer, I think they offer the, the, some sort of, uh, I think they go out and do training for, for CEUs and things for the medical side of it here. So that they're not outside the realm of, of the industry. And, Certainly, you know, if we could give uh, them 
a uh, any kind of acknowledgement, you know, or, or if you're in a position to ever need that kind of work there, you know, I would highly recommend starting out or at least looking to see if they might have something that people could use because clearly they have a lot of care involved in taking the time, you know, to showcase this and to put this together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it's, it's a very moving piece if anybody hasn't watched it uh, to go there to the uh, YouTube page and you'll see it. And it's... Uh, it's about four and a half minutes, but if you walk away from watching it and you don't have a tear in your eye, I think it's something wrong because it's uh, there's a lot of lives that were lost, you know, in that year, and and we've lost a lot collectively. But uh, 2008, you know, was the worst year on record, and uh, and they really do a nice job of memorializing the people who were lost that year. Yeah, well, I I agree completely. So, listeners, if you haven't seen that, do get over to the website and see it. Um. Mike, just one final question. How are you financially supporting the EMS flight crew? Is this kind of a labor of love, or are you trying to get some money from, you know, the classified ads, the job listings, um, you know, uh, your logo wear? Is that um, how you're trying to support the, the cost of it? Yeah, well, I mean, the the vast majority of the money is, is you know, was upfront money, and then, you know, kind of modifications as things happened, and, and adding the jobs page was a big chunk. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of it was, you know, a tax refund. Part of it was savings. Uh, part of it was part of my retirement. I, uh, I took out a loan on that. I, you know, that was the hardest part in the beginning for me was, you know, a friend of mine, uh, you know, had his own website, and he did an off-front page, and, and when I started to talk to people about it, you know, and look at what, what I wanted to do versus what I could afford to do, you know, there was a big disconnect. Um, and, and, and I thought about trying to do it on my own, you know, and, and take classes and learn things. And, and front page was out there. Dreamweaver was another one. And, and I talked to a guy named uh, Gordon Atkinson. And Gordon worked for a company called Jethro, which is now ITT, uh, IT Technical. And they're based in Australia. They're the ones who actually host the website. And, and I talked to him about, you know, what my goals were. You know, and I wanted to have the ability to grow. And with Front Page or with Dreamweaver and doing it myself, my fear was that if it did do well, then it would outgrow itself pretty quick and people would lose interest. Uh, A long time ago, there was a website called Friendster. You know, and it was kind of the precursor to the MySpace, the Facebook types. And it was hugely popular to the point that it shut itself down because they hadn't planned, I guess, for that kind of volume and bandwidth. Uh, And, you know, people got got to the site and it was closed because it just couldn't handle the capacity and it, uh, it is no more. So certainly we're not operating on that kind of a, of a scale, but with, uh, you know, with the less expensive avenues to begin with, my concern was that if there was, if it was popular or if people found value in it, that I wouldn't have the ability to expand it uh, and it wouldn't be able to adjust to that growth. So uh, I made the decision to go ahead and, you know, bring on a, a professional designer uh, and then work with him and then over this course of several months you know after the Facebook page looked like it had some value and people were coming to it and joining uh, you know we talked about I guess how to do what I wanted to do realistically um, you know and, and money was always tight uh, it, I figured the first year to 18 months I wasn't really going to concern myself with you know advertising or postings or you know people can even donate money to the site if they if they like and they find value in it um and the shirts you know are, are a form of pride for me because you know i always thought i'm a t-shirt kind of guy and i like to wear t-shirts and if the t-shirt has a helicopter on it well then i'll probably wear it 
<laughs> two days in a row. So, <laughs> so uh, you know, initially we just had a general one that we put together, and then now we've you know we've got actually got a professional logo that was designed over uh, over the course of many weeks. Uh, so, you know, there is some revenue derived from those, uh, not, not as much as has been spent on, on the site, but, you know, initially it was, like I said, it was a, a communications outlet and a, and a safety, hopefully, forum of sorts. Uh, the jobs, you know, if companies want to post their jobs on there, and there's a fee associated with that, but, um, uh, you know, for the most part, I hope it ends up paying for itself at some point, you know, and I, I can call a break-even point. Uh, you know, a couple months, years down the road. But uh, in in terms of, hopefully, it's just building a community, being being part of, you know, an, an organization that uh, seeks to do things safer. Uh, you know, and I have that already. You know, with my employer and my program, you know, have safety committees and and are always upping things and and providing things for us. But uh, you know, to kind of uh, just to, as an individual, be a part of something, you know, that uh, people find value in, and that, uh, and then I get I get some very positive emails from time to time from people that, that you know read a story and they're like, oh wow, that's great because that kind of thing happened to me, and now I know how I should handle it, or you know, you know, this this you know, people write me and ask me any questions, you know, I'm I'm always back to them, like I said, less than 24 hours usually, and make recommendations or you know give my advice or opinions on. You know, the best way to handle things because the last thing you want is you know a, a crew that's not communicating with each other because someone got their feelings hurt or you know the pilot scared them or the nurse and the paramedic had a, a disagreement on treatment and you know egos get involved and pride gets involved and I think those are two things that we just need to leave back at the base or I guess better to said to leave them back at home um, when it comes to you know affecting how your decisions are made but, right. So, so, you know, I, I hope people like the logo, and, I, and hopefully they like, you know, the pens and the stickers and the T-shirts and things like that. And that helps with the operational costs, um, which are largely behind me now, just maintaining it and, you know, adding things as they go. But uh, certainly if anybody likes that, I'd, I'd certainly appreciate anybody uh, purchasing that. Or if anybody from an HR department or a recruiter, you know, wants to looking for a, a venue to post jobs and things like that. Um, certainly appreciate that business as well. Yeah, well, you've you've done a first class job with that, and it really shows with your website. So, uh, I uh, wish you luck as that, that continues. And uh, Mike, thanks so much for being on the podcast and and taking the time, um, and for really all the work that you're doing with the EMS flight crew. It, it's a really a great resource, and I know. Uh, a true, uh, as I said, labor of love for you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a, it's a great job, and and uh, I hope everybody uh, finds value in it, uh, essentially. Well, thanks, Mike. Thank you, Ed. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Air Medical Today podcast. Please come back again and also subscribe to future shows by visiting the website at airmedtoday.com or on iTunes. Information about the Facebook group and Twitter account can also be found at the website. Remember, if you would like to become a sponsor and or leave feedback, please write to webmaster at airmedtoday.com or call 206-350-0278. Special thanks to Stanley Reeves of Room Tunes for providing his song, Track 5, for use as the theme song for the podcast. Stan's work can be found at roomtuneenterprise.com. Take care and fly safe. <laughs>